Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful week. Thank you all so much for the kind birthday messages. I had a really nice time with my family and celebrating another year around the sun. This was also a pretty crazy week for Bravo. We had the finale of season 10 of Vanderpump Rules, which was very gripping, raw, honest, just incredible reality television. And it feels bad sometimes to watch people's worst moments play out on TV for your own entertainment. Um, But to see how Ariana is doing so well in her life and getting so many business deals and having so many of her friends support her, you know, that does make me feel better. Now, I don't believe I've done this before, but I wanted to put a trigger warning on this podcast because today's podcast goes into a number of topics that are very sensitive, including um, domestic violence, um, abuse, childhood trauma. And so I just want listeners to be aware that if those are things that are triggering for you that are unhelpful for you to hear about, you may want to skip this week's episode. Um, But for everyone else that's been spending so much time talking about Scandaval and how horrible Tom Sandoval and Raquel have been behaving and how could Tom Schwartz not say anything and not tell Ariana, this podcast might shed some light on their behavior. Now, I have to admit, when I was watching and hearing everything play out in March, my first inclination or thought wasn't what happened to Raquel or what happened in these people's childhoods that made them fall into these behavioral and like relationship patterns. But Andrea Ashley from the Adult Child podcast reached out to me and said, you know what, I might be able to shed some light on why they're behaving the way they're behaving and want to come on your podcast and talk about what it means to be an adult child of dysfunctional families. Um, So that is what today's podcast is. It's about the role that unresolved childhood trauma might play out in dysfunctional adult relationships. And I want to be very clear I do not condone the behavior that Tom Sandoval, Raquel Levis, um, or even Tom Schwartz have displayed on the show in their lives. I don't condone it. And I think I'm not trying to, I don't believe this podcast is trying to excuse the behavior. I do think it is an explanation because a lot of people have said, oh, you must be an evil person to do something like this. Um and I don't know, maybe maybe they are evil people. I don't, I don't really know that. But there are things that can happen to people growing up that make them fall into certain patterns and do things that actually harm others around them. And I believe particularly with Raquel and also with Tom Schwartz, um, some things from their childhoods. And so 
I went back and looked at what was publicly available information about them, things that have been shared on the show itself, things that have been officially published, legal records. Um, so this none of this is, um, in my belief, hearsay. It is things that have at least been published um, and nothing from like Reddit boards or anything like that. So um, I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. I hope it makes you think a little bit differently. Um, talking to Andrea definitely made me think a little bit differently. And um, yeah, I, ho- I hope you learned something. I do want to share a couple brief thoughts about the other shows that are going on at the moment. So with The Real Housewives of Atlanta, we are back. And I don't know about you guys, I I feel bad saying this. I don't think the cast is gelling. I'm not entirely sure what gelling would look like, but it just feels a bit, I don't know. Um, the person I'm actually most excited to watch is Drew Sedora. I find her very captivating, and it's fascinating to watch her and Ralph like project that they are in a good place, knowing that by the end of the season, they file for divorce and there's all these allegations of inappropriateness and whatever else. So yeah, I'm kind of like looking for the Easter eggs there. Um, We all know that, you know, the last couple of seasons have not come across great for them as a couple, um, particularly Ralph. It's also a bit troubling and kind of goes maybe in a bit to what the topics are in today's podcast. But the fact that Sheree, Kenya, and Drew have all found themselves in varying levels of abusive relationships, I feel like Kenya has been doing a lot of work on herself um, in this process of getting divorced from Mark Daly and trying to recognize the signs of abusive men prior to getting her heart broken and getting invested in them again and trying to break some of those patterns. And so I feel like while she's learning this, she's trying to say, hey, Sheree, girl, (laughs) remember your first husband? Remember Bob? Remember the things that he said about you, about choking you? Um, Remember when he did choke you? (laughs) You know, the, the kinds of behavior that we are seeing Martel exhibit you, you know, that's that's Bob and you're doing this all over again. And like, I can't co-sign it. And it's so sad to watch Sheree excuse this guy's behavior and, you know, come up with all these reasons why it's OK for him to like yell and scream and be rude. Um, I don't know. It makes me sad. It also made me sad to watch Louie's behavior on The Real Housewives of New Jersey. I mean, talk about red flags. This guy is going around lying, saying that he got a old NYPD like investigator to come up with dossiers on all of the castmates of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. And then that guy came out and was like, none of it's true. And Louis had to come out and say none of it's true on Watch What Happens Live. And it's like, why are you like someone who can just lie like that to say something and on camera? Like that's a red flag. Like something is off with you if you are so easily able to say a lie, knowing that you'll get caught, right? And then to watch Teresa explain away his lies. Oh, he didn't mean it. He was just doing this. He was just doing that. It's all, it's all so sad. And, 
you know, all of the revelations about this rumor with Melissa possibly making out with a guy in the back of a car, and it turns out she knew about the rumors, and she thinks Teresa orchestrated the whole thing, and she thinks it goes back to when she was 24 years old and started dating Joe Gorka, and Teresa never accepted her. And you know what? She's probably right. At the same time, I don't think that she has done anything either to try and mend a relationship when Teresa has, you know, reached out with an olive branch. Um, But I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I blame Teresa and Joe Gorga, the brother-sister relationship. They should handle this as a family, brother and sister. He should not send his wife to fight his battles or to fight her own battles, He should go out and say, listen, this is my wife. And for us to have a friendship and a relationship, this is how you have to treat her. I won't, you know, accept you doing these things. At the same time, Joe Gorga and Melissa are obsessed with being on television. They were not initially on this show and they asked to be on the show. And now no one wants to walk away from the show. They all say they care about family, but at the end of the day, they care about money more. They care about fame more. And it's really sad to watch it play out and to know that the effect that this is having also on the next generation. Um, Talk about that a little bit in this week's podcast. And then to the summer houses. So I'm loving Summer House Martha's Vineyard. I think it's fun. I think it's fresh. I'm just enjoying all getting to know the different characters, um, all the drama over having emotional an emotional support animal. Like, it's just, I'll take this drama any day. And then for Summer House in the Hamptons, you know, again, I just feel so bad for Carl having to explain himself and why he made the decisions that he's making. And I think he's pretty much done being on reality TV. But the hard part is that he is now going to marry Lindsay, who is meant to be on reality TV. I don't know if Summer House is the best place for them. I would love to see her on the next season of Real Housewives of New York, of the new one. You know, I I don't know. It just seems like this isn't the right fit. It seems like there needs to be a show where she's the main character and he's only showing up every so often because I just don't think he likes doing this. I don't think he likes having his life under a microscope. I don't think he likes having his friendships or his relationships under a microscope. And I don't feel like it's healthy for him. Um, It was interesting watching Paige and Craig this past week because I think those of us who follow them on social media have a certain idea about where they're at in their relationship. And it just feels like they're not actually where maybe the the audience thinks they are. Um, They don't seem to really have a future planned out about how that logistically could work, like who's going to move where, How are they going to make it happen with their shows, with their businesses? You know, Paige doesn't really want to leave New York. And I think when she was head over heels for Craig, she said she was willing to. But after spending time in Charleston and away from her family, especially her mom, I just, I don't know if it's what she wants. And... Um, he might, you know, Craig might need to move up to New York instead. But when he was upset and crying and she was showing no (laughs) emotion, and granted, I I think she was physically ill that night. So, uh, you know, let's give her some grace in the fact that she was vomiting most of the night. But it, it did worry me that she kind of called him a 
baby for just crying and being upset that he missed his mom's birthday. I don't know. Something's off with them. And I wish that they were under the same level of scrutiny that all these other relationships have been put under, such as Kyle and Amanda and Lindsay and Carl. I I just feel like why aren't Paige and Craig getting the same level of scrutiny? Um, I also just hope things get better between Carl, Lindsay, Danielle, and and all of that, because this is pretty toxic. Hopefully, they've had enough time since last summer to calm down, to look at things more clearly, and hopefully at the reunion, they'll be able to talk through and at least get somewhere. They may not be the same level of friends they were before, but hopefully there isn't hate in their hearts uh, for each other. And I guess that's all we can hope for. As always, if you guys enjoy the podcast, go ahead, give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review. It helps me get new guests. That's really what this is all about. I'm not trying to make money off of this podcast, uh, you know, just enough to cover the software and my cable bill, you know. Um, It's about having different kinds of conversations and getting different perspectives. And, you know, I've always said that this is a podcast that's about real life, the complexity of real life. And I know a lot of us um, tend to be drawn to looking at things in black and white, especially something like a Scandaval. Like there's no other side to be on, quote unquote, other than Team Ariana. But part of what I'm curious about is what would lead someone to behave in the ways that they've behaved. Is it narcissism? Is it, you know, other other things? And um, Andrea has some, you know, interesting uh, points of view. And I'm all open to hearing many different points of view on this. I'm sure some of you may disagree with what she says, with what I say. Um, and I'm open to hearing that constructive criticism. So if you have something you want to share, you can always reach out to me at Mandy Slutsker on Instagram or Twitter, but I'm better at checking my Instagram um, direct messages. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I hope that this podcast is thought-provoking and interesting and not triggering to anyone. That is my wish for you. So I'm going to take a quick break and then be back with Andrea. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I have Andrea Ashley here. She's host of the Adult Child Podcast, which we're going to get into what an adult child is, but it's short for Adult Children of Dysfunctional Families. And on today's podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about the common characteristics of an adult child of dysfunctional families, how um, one can maybe overcome a dysfunctional childhood, hear about Andrea's story, and then talk through some examples of some of this behavior and how we've seen it on Bravo, especially in light of everything that has been going on with Scandaval. So welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining today. So pumped to do this. 
I am so pumped. Okay. So someone like me, who until I talked to you was unfamiliar with the term Mm -hmm. adult child, how would you describe this? And um, as someone who's somewhat familiar with sort of the diagnostic statistical manual of mental illness, because uh, I have generalized anxiety disorder, <laughs> um, where does this fit in or does it fit in with kind of traditional mental health uh, personality disorder or that kind of stuff, di- diagnoses? So I feel like the more that I go... Uh, grow in my journey and like continue to recover and grow more. I'm I'm kind of like thinking like I really think that perhaps adult child is like underlying like all mental disorders <laughs> in a way. <laughs> like honestly, um, so so the term initially was adult children of alcoholics, okay. and so um that term came about in the late seventies, early eighties. And so basically what happened was, um, are you familiar with Al-Anon? Yes. You know, yeah. So Al-Anon is like the the sister program of AA and it's for the spouses and, you know, uh, parents, friends of, of alcoholics and addicts. And so basically there was this group of, um, they had been in Alateen. And so they kind of graduated, they turned 18 and they graduated per se into Al-Anon. And what they found was that they couldn't really relate to uh, what was being shared in the meetings because people were talking about issues with, you know, their spouse or this or that. And they were trying to live having just survived growing up in an alcoholic home. And so they decided to create their own meeting. And what they realized was that um, despite the specific details, like their childhoods didn't all look the same, but regardless of that, they had these like common characteristics amongst them. And this was around the same time when the medical and mental health community was realizing just the impact of alcoholism and addiction on the entire family and on someone's entire life. And so uh, the term adult children of alcoholics came about. And then it wasn't more than like 10 years later that everyone realized that there were lots of different dysfunctional family systems that could produce an adult child with these same sort of characteristics. So I'll give you two definitions. The first would be, and this comes from the 12-step program ACA, they define an adult child as someone who responds to life with self-doubt, self-blame, or a sense of being wrong or inferior, all as a result of their childhood experiences. Another definition would be Someone whose unresolved childhood pain surfaces and plays out in adulthood and not in a good way. So I think just the best way to to sum it up is um, it's like we're all shaped by our childhood experiences, right? Yeah. We we all have this programming. And so an adult child is someone whose childhood resulted in faulty programming. And there are millions of people out there who don't realize that the recurring issues that they're encountering in life, whether it's romance, which is where it showed up for me, or friendship or work or whatever, is all a result of their unresolved childhood shit. So many people. Yeah. And that's why I felt so, so compelled to create this podcast and 
it was for me because like I so I grew up in an I grew up with an alcoholic mom, um, workaholic dad. Uh, I started acting out and uh, I started drinking at 12 and I got sent to rehab for the first time at 14 okay. in the eighth grade, four days after my 14th birthday. And then I was like in and out of rehabs and boarding schools and all the things from 12 to 19. And I got sober at 19. I always knew that my childhood was less than ideal. But I also knew that others had experienced much worse than me. You know, I was never physically or sexually abused. All of my needs were taken care of. Most of my wants were taken care of. You know, I went to private school until I got kicked out. Uh, you know, we went to church on Sundays, all of these things. And I also was very aware of what had happened during my childhood. So I really was like, how much could it truly have impacted me? And I had no idea, like just truly. I had no idea that I had trauma. No, no fucking clue. Yeah, it shows up in mysterious ways. They know that that book, The Body Keeps Score. It So you talk in your podcast, which I really encourage everyone to go listen to, especially that first episode where you kind of lay the foundation. At what age and at what time did you notice that after getting sober, you still were having problems mm. in your life, like big problems? Okay, so go listen to my first episode. It's called The Tale of Two Brians. I hold nothing back. <laughs> I hold nothing back in the whole podcast. Um, so, okay, so I get sober at 19. And, um, you know, most people don't enter sobriety with, like, a, a good romantic picker, right? Like, we're typically, like, not getting sober with, like, a, a long history of, like, healthy relationships and high self-esteem, typically. And so... It's, pre I mean, it's suggested that you don't date in the first year. I mean, I did, and a lot of other people do. Um, and so, yeah, so I saw my friends, you know, that I got sober with. They also weren't picking, like, the best of dudes. Uh, but their pickers were improving. And mine was not. And not only was mine not improving, it was, like, in each relationship, I felt and acted like crazier than ever. And it was like more painful. Each one was more painful. And I had no idea that whenever I was in a relationship that I was living in a trauma response. Like I couldn't, I had no idea that's what was going on. And I just thought I was pathetic, um, a loser. I just didn't understand it. Cause I would have long gaps in between relationships. I was never somebody that hopped from one to the next. And so I would be feeling really good about myself uh, I would be confident that I wasn't going to ignore red flags in the next relationship. And it was like without fail, like time after time after time, here I was again. So it's 20, when did I get sober? It's 2015. I'm seven years sober. Enter Brian number one. I dated this guy for less than a month. I pretty much figured out he was an alcoholic on the first date. Mind you, I'm sober. And so he ghosts me after, um, after, after, after you met his family. Yes. I actually just talked to him on the phone recently. Interesting. Um, yeah. He reached out to me. Well, let me just finish. So, so basically he ghosts me. Um, and I, like, I, I, I thought I was going to die. Like, I really thought I was going to die. I became non-functioning. 
Um, I had to have my mom fly out to California from Florida to come and take care of me. Mind you, like she is an active alcoholism. So that's truly how desperate I was to have her come out. And, um, it was, it was in the midst of that pain that I had my first significant aha, which was there's no way that the way I'm feeling right now could actually be about this person because I had known him for less than a month. And right. I mean, I wasn't suicidal, but like I wanted to fucking die. Yeah. Oh, that's so tough. Um, and then the next aha was this other Brian. No, 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 no. The second aha oh. was this is a feeling that I felt often as a child. Ah. And that was the first time that I realized, you know, I developed separation anxiety with my mom and um, at, at the age of like nine. And that was the first time that I was able to like connect the dots that that was the exact same feeling. And so I discovered this, like I eventually was led to this, you know, book, Adult Children of Alcoholic and Dysfunctional Families. My mind was blown. Uh, I, I finally realized I wasn't the only one, but I... So, but I just thought that just reading this book and taking a break from dating would be enough to fix things, right? And so it's like I took a year off. Um, enter Brian number two, another alcoholic, the most painful, insane six months of my entire life. And it was through that relationship that what I I realized that what I was dealing with, my unresolved childhood trauma and pain was much more powerful than I had assumed. Um, and truly was like, I realized that my alcoholism was actually just, you know, we taught in, in AA and in recovery, we talk about how alcohol is just the symptom, right? Right. I realized that like my alcoholism was truly just a symptom of this unresolved childhood trauma and um, this is very common for people between five to 10 years sober. They've dealt with the alcoholism or the addiction. And then it's like now your psyche knows like, all right, like now it's time to deal with like the real causes and conditions. So it's very common for and I didn't realize it at the time. So I just thought I was the only one and that I was crazy. But it's very common for people to hit these emotional bottoms between five to 10 years sober. I have and a so, question. So mm -hmm. um, can you explain the term and tell me if it's a offensive term? Because people have used it to describe some people on Bravo. Um, dry drunk. And, mm -hmm. and does that play into people who are sober, but still exhibit the, the behaviors of an alcoholic with like, yeah, I, I don't really so, know what I'm talking so about would, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out so of my I depth. Say, so I wouldn't say that like dry drunk would describe like what. No, it's not offensive. And somebody who's offended by it is just a fucking dry drunk. And that's why they're offended by it. OK. So, um, but like, here's the deal, right? Like we, uh, you know, it's my opinion, like alcoholism is a disease. And like you either are going to um, you have to either treat it in some way, you know, whether that's through, you know, 12 steps or, you know, trauma therapy or whatever, or you're going to drink, right? And so yeah. when you just take away the alcohol and you don't do anything else, like you're, you might as well just drink. Like that's what it is. It's, it's basically somebody who is an alcoholic that is no longer drinking, but they haven't done any recovery. 
Um, they're not working the program. Right. They're and not so, like trying to make amends with people that they've hurt or take Yeah, they're not doing they're just not drinking. Okay. That makes but, sense. But but that wouldn't apply to like because for me and that was what was so confusing for me is because throughout all of this time for me, you know, I was active in, you know, in 12 steps and, and working a program. And that's what was so confusing to me was like, I didn't understand why I wasn't improving in this area, in this like romantic area. And it was because I had this trauma that I didn't know was there. Um, I want to talk about the laundry list. So the laundry list um, are 14 traits of an adult child. Um, and this is what was uh, in the book initially in the early 80s and then was later revised about 10 years later to expand to not just children of alcoholics, but children of any sort of dysfunctional families. I am imagining that my mom was learning about this in grad school. My mom was a social worker. Um, and I remember after she died going through all of her like books and everything and um, from school. And there was just she was very into family dynamics and books on family relationships and family therapy and that kind of stuff. Um, So I'm going to read some of these traits. And then you interrupt. What did you relate to? Well, did what what did you how many of them did you relate to? Um. Currently, I don't think any. Good for you. But I think in younger years, maybe some. I I didn't relate to much of this. Put it in the show notes because like the first time I read it, like it seriously just it blew my mind. You know, like uh, the first time if you've ever been diagnosed with a mental illness and a lot of times um, providers don't want to go into the details of it. But the first time that as an adult, I read the explanation of uh, generalized anxiety disorder, it was Mm -hmm. like a light bulb. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my goodness. And I knew I'd been diagnosed as a kid. Um, but to ha- like as an adult to to read it, it was like everything was making sense. Okay, so this is a thing that other people deal with. Other people like a one particular event can happen, and it can like in your mind make you go ten steps forward, and no one else knows how you got from A to to E. But you're like, no, no, A will lead to B and B will lead to C. And then this will happen. And then we're all going to die. And, (laughs) you know, so but with this, I didn't really um, it didn't really relate so much. But I could see a lot of people do. Right. So one of them is becoming isolated and afraid of people and authority figures. Um, Another is and this is one I think we see a lot about Raquel. (laughs) Um, we become approval seekers and lose our identity in the process. Yeah, so I just want to like expand upon this. I really feel like in in essence, this um, this trait kind of summarizes what uh, kind of like the core wound of what an adult child is. So basically, what you know, what it is is that we, you know, growing up in um, in a dysfunctional family whether it is direct or indirect messages, and it can be very subtle, it could be very blatant, but we basically learn that like who we are, like our, our true selves is not okay, right? It's not safe to be us. And so we kind of take on all these characteristics and develop this false self that we carry with us, you know, into adulthood. 
And then, you know, it's interesting to me, this whole like being approval seekers or losing identity is Raquel has always been involved in pageants. And I don't know if there's anything more approval seeking than putting yourself in a pageant and constantly going through it with the hopes of judges voting for you and crowning you something. And then, you know, as Ariana pointed out, she never actually won. So she's been doing Mm. this since she was 15 until she aged out when she turned 28 and had never actually gotten the approval from those in the pageant community that she was continuously seeking. It became almost her entire identity. I don't know that she talked about anything else on the show with regards to herself more than she did pageants. And the only other time I felt like she really spoke about herself was that she wanted to be an occupational therapist. But I think we realized this season that that was just an answer for a pageant and that she's not even sure if that's what she wants. And so watching her, and I know a lot of people have a lot of anger, and and we'll get into the anger of Scandaval, but I see someone who is profoundly lost and and exhibits so many of of these symptoms um, or of these traits. Um, Another one is we're frightened by angry people and any personal criticism. Mm-hmm. I'm frightened by angry people, but I'm not so frightened by criticism, as mm-hmm. you can see from the comments people make on my <laughs> on my podcast. I get it, too. It's like, oh, my God, you're just like this liberal, whatever. <laughs> like, okay, okay, you don't have to listen. Um, this one's interesting. We either become alcoholics, marry mm-hmm. them, or both, or find another compulsive personality, such as a workaholic to fulfill our sick abandonment needs. Me. (laughs) Me, both. Became one, dated them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's also interesting watching Vanderpump Rules in particular because the show starts with all of them having a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And many people, especially in their 20s, especially people that work unusual hours or in the service industry, rely on substances to get them through those work hours to like kind of lubricate all of the social anxiety that they experience. Um, So it's not until I feel like they get older and some of them kind of manage it better and others really manage it poorly. Or as we heard from Ariana, Tom Sandoval couldn't go five days without drinking just to get a good sperm sample. I mean, that is worrisome to not be able to go five days without drinking. Uh, that to, to not be able to go five days without anything, right? Like any sort of vice or whatever, like tells me there's a there's some sort of a problem. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what? Um, a five okay. days to an alcoholic seems like fifty years. Just saying. So you know. Oh, my gosh. Um, Now, this is something I feel like is consistent and bravo. And a lot of people, actually, I think that we all know in our lives, we live life from the viewpoint of victims, and we're attracted by that weakness in our love and friendship relationships. I think that this I think that this is applicable to Ariana. Oh, she views herself as a victim. Here's the deal. It's not necessarily. So this is how I like interpret this. It's not like 
this is how it showed up for me. It wasn't like I thought like, oh, woe is me. I'm such a victim. But it was more so like I couldn't see. I didn't understand why do I keep finding myself like in these positions over and over again, like not seeing that it was like my unresolved shit that was attracting me into these circumstances. So the way that I view it is just like not seeing our part and how we end up in these particular situations. Yeah, the thing that I related to the most that she said was because as a viewer, I viewed it this way, is that she said to Kristen that when her and Tom kissed while Tom and Kristen were still together, she thought it was sort of like almost a fluke, like not a character thing that, oh, he's someone Mm -hmm. who cheats or isn't honest, but their connection was so deep Mm -hmm. that, you know, this was a kind of a once in a lifetime thing. And, and then they went on to be together for nine years. So, you know, and we all know relationships that are some seem pretty healthy. A good example is Eileen Davidson, right? Eileen Davidson and her husband both were married when they met each other. They cheated on their spouses with each other, and then they went on to stay married for 20-something more years, and it seems like they have got into a bit of a healthy groove. So uh, not to say that relationships that start that way are always toxic and bad, but with Tom Sandoval, all of a sudden, Ariana started seeing a pattern. Okay, so he was with Kristen for all this time, didn't have the balls to fully break it off, then got with me and there was overlap, then didn't have the balls to break it off with me and there was overlap with Raquel. And so he does this for like long periods of time. So it's harder to notice the pattern. You have to watch for decades to find the pattern. Mm-hmm. But I think that there was a lot more other stuff going on, too, you know, like she was constantly killed. in situations that she had to defend him. Well, I mean, OK, have you have you I was I just found a good article about do you want to go through this list or you want to dive into this? Right now? Um, Let's dive right. in. Well, I'm going to OK, let's quickly just yes. I'm just going to read okay. off the list. Um, So an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, and it's easy for us to be concerned with others rather than ourselves. We get guilty feelings when we stand up for ourselves. We are addicted to excitement. That's a big thing in um, affairs. We confuse love and pity and tend to love people we can pity and rescue. That's a big Raquel James Kennedy thing. Um, We've stuffed our feelings from our traumatic childhoods and have lost the ability to feel or express our feelings because it hurts so much. There's a lot of denial. So when people see Raquel not reacting to how hurt she hurt, like how much she hurt other people, it's almost like she's not in tune with who she is. Completely dissociated. Dissociated. And we saw that a bit when she had a panic attack in the car when they were driving in the desert. Um, And the way that this showed up for me was like, I didn't think that this was applicable to me, but I realized that it was because... I was always able to talk about my childhood without getting upset. So I thought that that meant that it didn't impact me. But what I realized was like when I would talk about my childhood, it was as if I was a news reporter standing in front of a burning house. And that house was actually my house burning down. You know, like there was no just not showing emotion. There was just no emotions associated to, you know, and that's what we feel as kids. That's what happens. It's like it's too painful It's too painful to feel those feelings as a kid. It's too painful to think that your caregivers are the problem because they're responsible for your survival. 
And so as kids, what we do, and it's not consciously, but we believe that we're the problem because it's way too scary to think that it's our parents. We judge ourselves harshly and very low sense of self-esteem. We're de- we are dependent. That is applicable to all of them. Yeah. <laughs> we are dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment and will do anything to hold on to a relationship in order to not experience the painful abandonment feelings, which we receive from living with sick people who were never there emotionally for us. Ariana. I would say um, Kristen staying with Tom Sandoval was, mm-hmm. was a big thing. Um, alcoholism is a family disease and we become para-alcoholics and t- take on the characteristics of that disease even if we don't pick up a drink. And then para-alcoholics are reactors rather than actors. Let me just explain that really. So yeah, I didn't all, understand that. So para-alcoholics was the term for codependence prior to the term codependency, uh, you know? And just so you know, like codependency is not just applicable only to like having a relationship with somebody who's in addiction. Like, you know, there's um, many forms of codependency. But the what what this means is, and I think that there's a lot, like when we're talking about Jersey, like I think that this is really relevant. So basically what this is, is like, we, we are, um, we are reacting to the present circumstance that we're not actually reacting to the present circumstance at hand. We're actually reacting to something that's in our past, right? So the, the, um, the reactions, the feelings, like, for example, like when I want to kill myself, when my boyfriend of, of less than a month ghosts me, that's not me acting in the present moment, that's me reacting to something that's unresolved in my past. And I think that that's a lot of what's going on with Teresa and Joe. Like, they're not, they're just reacting to unresolved shit. And another thing that that is, you know, part of this um, adult children uh, thing is there's a 25 question list. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll post the links to all of this. But one of the questions um, was, uh, were you drawn into arguments or disagreements and uh, asked to choose sides with one relative against another? And we see this on Jersey, this this past episode where you've got the kids involved, you've got Gia calling Joe Gorga and saying something about Melissa being not good enough. He's too good for Melissa, you know, and, and the kids used to be friends and now they're not friends and they feel, even if they're not told that they have to choose a side, it's implied that they have to choose a side and how, um, unhealthy <laughs> that is. So there's a lot with Jersey here, but let's go back to Vanderpump. So, you know, we've got this situation and I did a little bit of digging into the childhoods of Tom Sandoval, Raquel Levis, and Tom Schwartz, all things that are publicly out there. Nothing, nothing, you know, I didn't do <laughs> I don't know how else I would be able to find out stuff. Maybe we should talk about Schwartz first. That's who I want to talk about first. So let me read what I have found about Tom Schwartz's past. So, and this goes so much into his relationship with Katie and also how he behaved the last two episodes of this season, both hiding by the bushes when there was the conflict and then being unable to stand up to Sandoval when he knew Sandoval was in the wrong. So Tom Schwartz had four, has four siblings. He has triplet brothers and a sister. He also has three half-siblings from his father's first marriage. I believe his father was a police officer. His father 
is, um, I don't know if he's an admitted, but the court considered him an alcoholic, and he was physically violent with Schwartz's mom. And after 33 years of marriage, so once he's an adult, in 2010, Schwartz's parents legally separated and filed for divorce. At that moment, his mom was granted a restraining order against the father. Two years later, while the divorce was still being processed because these things take time, they filed for bankruptcy. Numerous people, including Jax, have said that Schwartz supports his family financially, specifically his mom and his triplet brothers. Mm -hmm. Neither his father or his sister attended his wedding to Katie Maloney. Jax and Tom helped fly the triplet brothers out to the wedding. The reason that only his mom was at the wedding was because of the restraining order that was still in Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. Um, The restraining order was amended to allow uh, in 2012, so after two years, to allow Schwartz's father to enter the shared home with his ex-wife for two hours per week to perform repairs and chores as they were preparing to sell the property. Um, but he was not permitted to drink alcohol or be under the influence of alcohol during the time he was at the marital home or property, and he was ordered not to threaten, assault, or harm his ex-wife or make any derogatory comments to her. So this indicates to me that there was potentially, and we don't know for sure, but abuse going on in the home long before they actually separated. So meaning Schwartz was, I think we can, we can make that assumption that Schwartz was the older sibling and his younger sibling and his mom, you know, all there. And I think he felt a sense of protecting them, maybe not wanting people to know, maybe covering or making excuses for a parent. I mean, it's, and again, this is um, a lot more common than people think. Uh, Abuse within homes and domestic violence is not an uncommon thing. It is unfortunately very, very common in our society. Um, When we watch Tom Schwartz be like he to me, as I'm reading all the stuff that you're telling me, is almost like the exact embodiment of an adult child, someone who literally presents as an a chi- as a child, even though they're an adult. And his whole like difficulty, he has this unhealthy friendship with Sandoval, where Sandoval does get to make decisions that impact Schwartz, and Schwartz can't speak up for himself. When he does find his voice, such as when they were in Schwartz and Sandy's and he was really angry, like, you're not showing up, you're going to band practice, you're not prioritizing this. Within like 30 seconds to a minute, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, man. Like, like you have an outburst and then you have to apologize for the feelings that you have that are very valid. Um, not being able to... I mean, his entire marriage to Katie Maloney, to me, embodied so much dysfunction and just like she's telling him i need you to do this i need you to do that like will you do that for me and he's just seems paralyzed as a person that is just so frightened of movement of making a decision of saying the wrong thing so he would rather do nothing and exist kind of in between than make the wrong choice or say the wrong thing And this week, he was presented with Ariana by saying, you're either friends with Tom Sandoval or you're friends with me, but it can't be both because for my own well-being, I can't have contact with him and I can't have contact with his friends. So 
I think you made a choice. What are your thoughts on Tom Schwartz? This is why I just spoke for like 10 minutes straight. And I feel a little bit icky talking about his family, but this is public knowledge, I guess. I mean, I found it pretty easily online. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think like when you're talking about how he helps support, like, I mean, he's got like two business ventures with Tom Sandoval. Like that would be like a really fucking ballsy move for him to you know to just like cut that off you know what i mean but um here's what i was thinking about a lot with like with this whole thing with katie and raquel and all that i feel like number one they should never have gotten married ever yeah i think i think they probably agree with that (laughs) they should never have been married and i think that like yes clearly clearly tom is an adult child I mean, he might also, too, be an alcoholic. It's kind of hard to tell with some of these people. Um, And I guess the thing that, like, was kind of, like, I don't know why we're all acting, like, so outraged and appalled at, like, his behavior and what he did with Raquel because this is who he is. And I just feel like with Katie, yes, what he did is shitty, but, like, he has proven to her time after time after time that this is who he is. Yeah. You know? So I feel like it's like her having these unrealistic expectations of who he can be. He's shown you who he is the whole time. Right? So Mm -hmm. I just feel like she continues to put herself in a position to be hurt by him. Yeah. He's not capable. He's not capable. I know. It's so sad because she realizes this and that's what leads her to file for divorce. Like he's never going to meet the needs and be the the victimhood. You know what I mean? Like that's it. It's like, like she realizes it, but then it's like, she has to learn the lesson over and over and over, even once she's left him and, and she's in an unusual situation. They both are. And that usually when people separate and get divorced, they don't have to see the other person all the time. They don't have to go to work with that person. They don't always share all the same friends, all the same everything. And so it's, I give them both credit for just getting through this season. It's not Mm -hmm. an easy thing to do to separate from someone and then have to see them all the time. And I think they've handled the managing the dogs really well. I mean, they've shown, I mean, that's not, you know, like, I don't know, they could have made it this whole custody sort of situation. And they just agreed to like one week on one week off and to have like to communicate about the dogs. And mm-hmm. I find Katie to, you know, we see her reacting so much in earlier seasons, and she's just reacting to him. Now, I've said this on the podcast before. I met Tom Schwartz once in person, and he's super charismatic. one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen, like, mm-hmm. it, in a scary way, now looking back, like, the level of magnetism that he had. And I wonder how many of the people on the show possess that and that that's kind of they lean on their charisma i think james kennedy could be like that i know jacks i don't know if jacks is as charismatic um sandoval is very charismatic you know and it lets them get away with a lot and and people don't want to hold them accountable for things because they weasel their way out and it's just like ah they didn't mean it that was a one-off you know that's not a character trait it you is. don't want to think know, it is. No, not at all. It's um, 
And like when we talk about like this whole situation and what my big message is too, is like how we are, you know, like we are, we are brought into relationships with people to like, to heal our shit and like to work through what still needs to be worked through. And I guess I just feel like with like Tom Schwartz has so many fucking problems. He has so many problems. (laughs) And I'm just, you know, I just, for me and like my recovery Like, it's not helpful to me. Like, I don't grow if I'm just, like, constantly focused on what this other person did to me when it's, like, I have, like, clear evidence of that. And so that's why it's just frustrating for me with Katie because I just feel like you have all of this, you have this record of who he is, you know? And and it's, like, what is it about you? Like, how are you going to not redo this in the future, you know? Yeah, I I do feel so for her because when it's one thing to like acknowledge that someone hurt you, but then to but you still love them and you they grew up together. They they were very good friends. I think they had a much better friendship than they did re- like romantic relationship, and that's why they both tried to stay friends because that's the part of their relationship that they enjoyed so much. Well, how much of it though do you think it is though because of the show too? Like, you know, is there like is there is there monetary value in them being together as a couple? I mean, I think that that's p- possibly part of it as well. I I think so, but it's also I just think it's hard to walk away. I think it's so hard to end a marriage when when there's not like one big thing that happened you know like like bad thing bad little things the whole fucking entire time i think that's what (laughs) we've seen but i bet from their experience that the positives aren't really shown and that they enjoy i I bet it's i bet it's worse behind the scenes than what we really well i'm sure the i'm sure there are parts that are worse but i'm sure there are also parts that are better and i just think when you're with someone starting at age 24 you know and uh or 23 and then you grow up with that person and to leave it's it's hard, it's a hard thing to leave and she did so much work really on her painful. own to mm-hmm. figure out like this isn't serving me mm-hmm. and I, the other part is that everyone around her is okay in his behavior very mm-hmm. rarely was anyone in her life being like yeah so he's not showing up for you and that's not cool like everyone was kind of Aw, they were charmed by him too. So it's also hard to stay in a relationship where no one else is pointing out like this is not healthy. And sadly, like they may have been the healthiest of the ones they were hanging out with. <laughs> so like, do you know what I mean? So I don't think people were like, for example, Stasi is Katie's best friend. Stassi is so close with them as a couple. She went on their honeymoon with them. You know, she was and stayed friends with with both. I don't know how it is right now after this whole situation. But it like no one is pointing out, hey, Katie, this actually isn't a good thing for you. So for her to come up with it on her own means I feel like she did like so much soul searching. Mm hmm. I agree. I um, I'm so proud of her. <laughs> I lo- I'm I'm like unabashedly. I really? like yeah. Katie. Katie I like her. I feel like she gets a bad rap, and because she's not as charismatic as some of the other people on the show, people want to villainize her more than I think is deserved. 
Yeah, I just find her to be like a little bit victim-y. Um, but I, what I will say, and, and it's just on this show in general, it's, it's just all of the men's behavior gets excused. Like, right. You know, just in general, that's right. just seen on this show. But who is excusing it? It's the women and the yeah. other men. And this is a common thing. On, and the audience. Yeah. And this is a common thing on Southern Charm where mm-hmm. like the poor behavior in the old boys club and they're able to get away with scandal after scandal and nasty <laughs> thing after nasty thing. And a woman makes one mistake like Naomi you know, and and she is villainized and she is the bitch and she is terrible for how she treated Craig rather than thinking of her reacting to the situation yeah. she was in. She was also very young when all this happened. Um, going into some of the other folks of Scandaval, shall we dive into Raquel a bit? Yeah. You know, my heart just really goes out for her, to her. I really just feel... I really just feel sad for her. You know, I was trying to, I was Googling it. I feel like at some point she mentioned being bullied as a kid. Do you remember hearing this at all? I think she never felt comfortable in her own skin. And uh, when she was 14 or 15, her mom encouraged her to enter pageants to form self-confidence. So it sounded like as a child, she never was confident. Now, I want to make a disclaimer that I think what Raquel and Tom Sandoval and Tom Schwartz did were terrible things. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have been taught since I was very young kid by my mother to focus on people's behavior being bad and not the people themselves being bad. And so I like to call it like poor behavior and bad behavior, not like bad people, because... I could be wrong, but I don't like to believe that people are just like inherently evil. I believe they are sick. I believe they need help. And I believe that they should be held accountable and or punished for things that they have done. But so I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm siding with Raquel and Tom or that you're siding with Raquel and Tom. They did something terrible. I think what you're trying to say is that some of the behaviors that they exhibited throughout the line, the cheating, this affair, were actually playing out issues from their childhood, especially Raquel. I did a lot of digging on her. I think think all of that, I don't really know as much about Tom. So I'll be honest, like, I've always thought Tom was a douche. Like, I didn't understand why he was a fan fave. I liked him. (laughs) Always come across to me as super inauthentic, super inauthentic. Um, But so here's like my assessment. So like with Raquel, first of all, like, so she goes to do these these pageants, right? That is how is she able to cultivate a sense of self? Like she has no sense of self from doing that, right? Like, it's not like she's like, it's all it's all superficial right mm-hmm. like all superficial so she had the adoption so i'm sure she i'm sure she has attachment trauma uh they bullied the shit out of her on this I show mean, when first joined do you think that ever i mean i don't know as much about adoption but it sounds like it was very open to her so like her biological mother had had children was done having children for 10 years became pregnant unexpectedly, or I guess you can't say unexpectedly if you're having unprotected sex, but um, unplanned, and decided to have the child and give it to her sister who had been struggling to conceive. 
And Raquel, uh, it was adopted. And then she has a sibling who also was adopted, Uh um, who goes by Sam and identifies as a boy. So, you know, I don't, I don't, not an expert on adoption, but I think, you know, there can be issues there, but it's not like she was abandoned by her biological mother. She was raised with that. Yeah. Here's. I'm just saying, like, I, what you're saying is is true, but what I'm saying based off, like, her behavior and what I based know about her, behavior, yeah. I 100% think that that's the case. And, like, we don't know what was going on. Like, it can happen, like, when you're in the womb. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, it, the most damage is done, like, is either, like, in the womb and up to two years old. And so based off what I'm ex- – what she's exhibiting, like, I'm 99.999% sure that there's some sort of – attachment trauma that occurred when she was a kid and it could just be her mom being stressed out when she's pregnant like there's so many things yeah. that no hurt. this is a um the american academy of pediatrics actually put out a statement in 2019 that um fetuses can experience the effects of racism in utero oh wow um like the the stress and the the trauma that people go through and that they carry in their bodies the the fetuses experience um mm-hmm. and that goes to any stress that a pregnant person or, or woman is feeling um it does impact which is why they say to like try and avoid stress while you're pregnant which my god and shout out to all the the moms who were pregnant during the pandemic the last three years the amount of stress that you had to go through being a mom must be stressful regardless but like in a global pandemic where you're told like not to breathe other people's air and like oh my god just shout out you guys are warriors <laughs> this doesn't exactly. mean your kids are fucked up because you were stressed it's just it's just pointing out that there are impacts mm-hmm. and and as someone you know we we've talked about um what what is it called where like people pass on stress through generations, intergenerational trauma. intergenerational trauma. And as a Ashkenazi Jewish woman who was named after someone who at 12 years old was buried alive in the Holocaust, um, you know, we, we carry that. And so it shouldn't be a shocker that I at age nine developed generalized anxiety disorder for, with like no environmental reason. Right. It just happened and it's just in me. And I think it's like passed on. Oh, absolutely. I, I believe I have it's a fascinating inter- episode you need to listen to with a son yes. of a Holocaust survivor. Um, so, yeah. So so with her, like, who knows? Like, I know she didn't have the she didn't have a relationship with her sister until later. Yeah, I, I'm just telling you, I'm 100 percent sure that something's she, off. She, yes, the belief that she was unlovable, unworthy, inherently flawed, I'm 1000% sure was ingrained in her. Um, When she came on the show, I think they were pretty fucking mean to her. And it really was just because she was not the brightest. I mean, I can't really remember anything that she did, like, wrong when she first came on other than being kind of dumb i think the issue is how she met james and please listeners correct me if i'm wrong it sounds like she went or someone brought her to see james kennedy dj and she basically like sat there like a puppy dog for hours waiting to meet him and was like there just to meet him and was in such a desperate was so desperate to be with him and that desperation was something that i think a lot of the 
girls on the show did not think was cool. They fucking would have done the same shit, too. I mean, come on. They're all on reality TV. They're all desperate to be famous, but I think the type of, like, her, the way that she was desperate, they thought was... Um, well, that's so sad, though. That's yeah. so sad. She's desperate, and then she's bullied for that. I mean, that clearly shows she's, like, extremely wounded, you know? And so to be bullied for that, I think that's really cruel. You know, she's they, clearly they bully, very... They, this show is a history of women bullying each other, and I feel like we're finally at a point where people are starting to stop, although, of course, now they're bullying Raquel, no. but, you know, that's a reaction to... So she gets in this relationship with James. He is an active alcoholic for the entirety of the relationship, except for at the very end. He seemed to be extremely abusive to her emotionally and verbally. Yeah. Hardcore codependent. Hardcore codependent. So I just think there's all of these signs of how wounded she is. She has no sense of self. None. None at all. And, like, with this happen, I mean, I'm telling you, this love addiction, I'm somebody who has, you know, suffered from real addiction. The people addiction, the love addiction is even more painful and powerful than the substances. And so that's why my heart really, like, whether or not she should have put out that statement when she talked about the people pleasing, the codependency, maybe that wasn't, like, the right time to put it out. But that is 100% what's going on here. And I've never done something. I've never slept with my, had an affair with my best friend's partner of nine years for seven months. However, if I was in the thick of it, I wouldn't put it past myself. I did some really horrible things. I couldn't work. I was a horrible friend. And so I think it's for people, and it's not to excuse her behavior, but she's not a bad person. Like, you need to consider her like a heroin addict because that's really like what she's dealing with here. It's an interesting perspective because I think a lot of us, you know, see the behaviors that she has done and are like, you hurt someone so badly and you deserve to feel hurt because you hurt others. And I know a lot of us have a lot of anger towards her, a lot of anger towards Tom Sandoval. You know, I've been telling people since almost the beginning of this to take a step back. It's not, this didn't happen to you. This didn't happen to your friend. This happened to someone on TV. And if you're going to put your attention, you know, your energy somewhere, there's like a lot of other real, like not that this isn't real shit, but like a lot of other shit going on that you could put this energy towards that might serve you better. So I think people like the whole like leaving one star reviews, like it's not, it, it's not cute. It's like you're, I don't know. It's weird to I me. don't expect anybody to under, like it's so hard to comprehend and understand. And I don't really, I don't really expect somebody to like fully get it by me just telling you this, but I'm telling you. Like, this is such a powerful addiction and condition, and it's trauma. Like, she's living in a trauma response. Um, And him, too. I'm not exactly sure. Like, it's harder for me to have compassion for him because I just always thought that he was a (laughs) douchebag. But with her, it breaks my heart because I wouldn't put it past myself to do something like that when I was, like, in the thick of it. And when you were younger and... And more I hit vulnerable. my bottom. I hit my Brian number two was when I was 28 years old. And 
I'm telling you, like I was a horrible friend. I was a horrible employee. I mean, I was nine years sober leaving my job. I worked, I was a CPA at the time. I worked at KPMG. I was leaving work at 11 in the morning to go pull this person out of a bar. I'm telling you, it's like, you need to view this as like, she's a heroin addict. As like a sick person who needs, who is in need of deep So sick. So sick. This is not somebody who's making a conscious, she doesn't even feel like, that's like another thing too. And I was just reflecting upon this recently. It's like, for me, the thought of walking away from those relationships when I was in it, it wasn't even a consideration for me. It wasn't even a consideration for me. Even though I knew that they were horrible relationships, that it was ruining my life, but that is how powerful this this trauma bonding, this love addiction, it, it's it's seriously It's all consuming is what so, you're saying. Yes. One thing I found super interesting is in the one scene we did see with her and Sandoval was she kind of started to pull away from him a bit by saying, well, and I'm not going to quote this properly, but like, well, if you did this to Ariana, like you would do this to me if we got serious kind of a thing. So she like on some level knows that she can't trust him, which is which is so mind-boggling because it's like it's not mind-boggling but it's but it is for me watching that's an obvious if someone is cheating on their girlfriend then they will cheat on you and if you actually think this is something that's going to go somewhere then why would you you don't have choice you don't have a choice you don't feel like you have a choice yeah i get like there's her brain is like broken exactly it is. It's like, the, it, it is. It's all in the brain. And it is nothing more painful than to like be in a situation like this, in this relationship like this, where you know that it's killing you, that this is not going anywhere. And you literally cannot walk away. Like it is the most painful experience to be in. It's horrible. And, and so... I think one of the things that makes it more painful is that there's no one supporting you because you're the one that's doing it to yourself, right? So there's not like a, oh, with Ariana, she didn't do this to her. Like, this was done to her. And so everyone's rallying around her as terrible and as horrible as what happened to her is. And I I think it's awful. I mean, to it it messes with your tr- level of trust. You you It undermines whether or not you can trust yourself like she trusted her partner Tom Sandoval and now she's like wait if I can't trust this person that I trusted the most then what does that say about me what does that say about my ability to make decisions you know so but she has people rallying around her and Raquel doesn't she really and doesn't so lonely too and I was there too I mean I lost friends like during that time period because it was like it gets annoying. Like you're an emotional vampire. Like I didn't understand, like, why do you keep, like it happens one or two times, but then it's like the fourth time and you're like wanting to fucking kill yourself for being in a relationship with somebody who is not relationship material. Like when you don't go, like when the other person hasn't gone through that, it's like, it is, it's like setting boundaries. Like when you are like, you have somebody in your life that is an addict, like at at a certain point you have to detach with love. I think so. I was reading an article about. Have you heard about Ariana's childhood? 
I didn't do a lot of digging, but I I have heard. Yeah. So here's a couple thoughts that I have. So basically, her I mean, horrible, abusive family. Her parents uh, were have been married and divorced twice. <laughs> Did you know that? I think I remember. I mean, yeah. and then her, so dad her dad passed her away, dad was, which is yeah. also complicates things. Yeah. And her dad was physically abusive to, to her mom. So, okay. So one thing I'm wondering is... So her I'm and Schwartz have a lot in common. Yes. And I'm wondering a couple things here. Number one is I'm wondering when, how, how, um, how long before she started to date Sandoval was this relationship that she talked about that was emo- emotionally abusive? The one that like told her that she had like an ugly vagina or something. Do you know how long of a, a gap there was? Like, was that like right before she started dating him? I think it was pretty soon before she started dating him. Okay. So first of all, like when it comes to this stuff, like, I mean, I've had to take, I had to take like years, years to really just work on myself. So that's one thing. So then we have in season six, I went back and I watched that reunion when she talks about, um, when she opens up about that. And so that came out that that was, um, they hadn't had sex in six months. Right. So this is in 2018. Um, when that came out, I feel like, I don't know if we ever f- heard anything else about that after that. Like, did we ever hear about them, like, working through their issues more? So, on a podcast I did, and now I'm trying to remember okay. which podcast, but she said, you know, we went, like, I was having some major body issues, which made me not want to be sexual. I worked really hard on those issues in therapy and have, like, things have gotten a lot better. Well, clearly not if they are only having sex four times a year when this came out. But this might be different, right? Like her not having sex before could have been because of her feelings about her body. This time it could be she didn't feel close to him. I think it's all connected. I do think it's all connected. I mean, if she was in a relate based off what I'm hearing about her childhood and if this relationship that she had right before Tom was right before this, I'm telling you, like, this stuff takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of therapy to work through. Like, a lot of therapy. So can you tell me some of the work that you've done on yourself? Because you've, you know, you've been like, I noticed this. I did you were these all revelations that you figured out on your own or many oh, of I them mean, things? No, therapy. therapy. I mean, I, okay. This is it. That's just it. Like when I, so I don't know if you heard me say this in the episode, like I, I had this revelation that I was an adult child. And when I told, when I went up to this woman in an AA meeting who had told me about, um, who had told me about this book and I was like, thank you so much. And she's like, that's great, Andrea, but I just want you to know like that this is going to take like years and years and years of therapy for you to work through. And I thought, I don't have fucking years, lady. Like, I'm 28. I'm basically a senior citizen. You know? Oh my God. Like, I'm like, I need to have this shit fixed. Like, uh, yesterday. Like, right. or maybe a few months. And I really just hope that her childhood was way more fucked up than mine was. And so, like I said, I took a year off. And like I say in my podcast, it's like simply learning that you have cancer doesn't make the cancer go away. Simply learning that my relationship issues were related to my childhood was not enough to fix things. And I would say for the first year and a half, I saw my therapist twice a week, twice a week. And I still see her once a week. I've done EMDR. I've done a ton of different therapy. This stuff 
takes a lot of work and a lot of time to work through. A lot. And so I just don't think that, like, I'm not quite sure about what Sandoval's stuff is, but I'm telling you, like, Ariana comes across, I think that she's a wonderful person. She's not as strong and as put together as we think she is. And I'm just pretty perceptive. And I think that that this, I think that because of her parents, I think that because Tom was not physically abusive and he was like somewhat okay, I think that's why she stayed in it. I think she stayed in this because it was safe, but I don't think that she was fulfilled at all, at all. I think also if we look back to though how their relationship started, he would gas her up in like the best way or the way that you would hope that a partner shows up, like saying how amazing she is, how smart, how kind, how, you know, beautiful, all of these things. And that's love bombing. Yeah. But I mean, you can do that in a way that's not love bombing. But I think that, but I think that, don't you think, based off what we know about him at this point, I mean, it looks like he's very much a narcissist. So, like, yeah, I think, like, our perspective today, we need to take into account of that. Yeah, it's just not in the normal timeline, right? Like, it was like years of him being. We don't, but we don't know. Like, we we don't know. There's a lot. We, I mean, there's a lot we don't know. I just, um, and, the, I, you know, Jax has made those comments about how, like, we're not really seeing, like, what is actually, like, you know what I mean? So, like, I just don't know if we really have any idea, like, what they've been portraying their relationship to be on camera. Like, I have a feeling that that's not the way it was. Is anything the way it seems? <laughs> Sorry, I'm going no, like, but I think and, that we're making this based yeah. off what we see on TV. Yeah. I now. Don't, Going to like had a healthy relationship the whole time to like boundaries and stuff. I I fully support Ariana doing what she needs to do to heal from this. I feel mm-hmm. like she is showing up, and maybe she hasn't always been strong, but this is the strongest I've seen someone respond in a long time. Where she's finally mm-hmm. doing what she needs to do. She's surrounding herself with people that love her. And the thing that stood out to the most, I've been trying to listen to Lala's podcast. I'm a few behind, but she oh, I said, want to make a comment on that too. Go yeah, ahead. She said that basically after this all happened, Ariana used to like have debilitating anxiety and depression. And then like all this happened and Tom was no longer her partner. And for like the time being, like it's kind of gone away. Like a lot of the anxiety she just kind of went because away. Because she's been in an unfulfilling, unhappy yeah. relationship for, for years. So long. But she, I don't know if she I'm... knew it as that, right? Yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. Like, Lala is someone who I find is also responding to like what happened to her. And I know we're all going to watch the Hulu documentary about Randall Emmett. I am so interested to actually know the truth because she portrayed it so differently than what it was. And the thing is, everyone else saw kind of not what it exactly was, but people would call her out, right? Like, come on, your relationship isn't so perfect. It started in this not great way. You know, he's like paying for things. You're clearly like happy that he's paying for things. You like the status of it. Like what's really going on here? 
And um, she said a number of things on her podcast that worry me, like for her as a person. And I just, I want her, <laughs> I just want, like one of the things she says is like, she thinks people are like mostly inherently bad and that that makes me sad and that she doesn't want to be with anyone because she doesn't trust men. That's something I think she needs to work on. And then one thing she said that I just was like, wow, you just need to work through pain is she said she doesn't want her mom to have another partner in life. And the reason she doesn't want that is because she doesn't want another man holding her daughter and getting to experience what her dad didn't have. And I know that feeling very deeply. And um, my mom died. My dad remarried. I have uh, not my own child, but a niece um, who calls my stepmom grandma. And she gets to have all these amazing experiences that my mom never will never got to have. But and it's painful. It's a painful thing to to know that your mom didn't get those things, right? But you know that your mom would want your your niece to have that experience. Yes, you know yes, I mean? yeah. That's it, just it. Yeah. Same with Lala's dad. Like, he, her, her dad wouldn't want that for her kids. And you have to, and I talked about this on last week's podcast, that, like, it's not about you thing, is you have to realize, like, this, like, you, first of all, this relationship is actually between the child and the grandparent, the person, but it's not about the person in between. So it's not about me. It's not about my brother. It's about my niece and my stepmom and, and how, what a w- wonderful experience is that she gets to have that love, right? And her and my, my stepmom getting this experience doesn't, is not the reason my mom doesn't have it. My mom doesn't have it because she's dead. Exactly. And she's not coming back. And so you have to want better things for the future and for your parent um, that's remaining. And you have to know that it's not about you and what you want. It's about them and what they want and what their needs are. And it takes a lot of working through, like, this was a very hard thing for me. My dad started dating. You know, it's not comfortable, right? But you have to work through it because it's not healthy to want to hold people in your life back. And it's not healthy. Like, I didn't want to date for the longest time because I didn't want to meet someone and fall in love. And then they would never get to meet my mom. Mm -hmm. And it's like fucked up. So I just for years just didn't date. Um, and I didn't realize that's why I was make, making excuses, you know, like, I don't feel good about myself. I'm not, you know, but it's like, that was the core of it. And I didn't want to keep living this life that, that she couldn't be part of, but it takes a lot of time to get to a place of acceptance with grief. And the stages of grief are crazy and you like go back through them all like a lots of different times. It's not like a, like you accept it and then you accept it the rest of your life. You like never have a problem again. That's not true, but you have to get to a point where you're able to experience positive things and, and want people around you to experience positive things. And I want her to get in a mindset. This is like my like want for Lala because I want her to feel the love of her father and know what he wanted for her. And I want her to experience that life. 
And then for her mom to not only live for Lala and Ocean, but also learn to live for herself. And I know that they're dealing with a crazy scenario right now where they've got this, you know, um, custody case in front of family court, and, and they're kind of buckled down with that. But once that gets sorted, they have to to learn to live again. Yeah. I Sorry, that so. was like, I just wanted like a diatribe, That's but good. it just, no. it, it hurt me so bad to hear her say, I never want my mom to be with someone because her mom is so young. And I don't and think you're like, kind of fucked up yeah. with ocean, like to, like to, to, to deprive, like to why deprive, would you deprive yes. your, 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 of having a relationship like that. Here's the thing with Lala. Like it's, it's like, I want to be optimistic that she's, she's just really got on her high horse about sobriety and the thing that really, really, really irked me was when she told Raquel this season about sleeping with James. Yeah. Because step, step nine is we made direct men's except when to do so would it injure them or others. There was no value or benefit in her telling Raquel that. And I find it extremely hard to believe that any sponsor or anyone in AA would ever tell her to do that. And what I was expecting her to do was Was to apologize. Yeah. And say like, I was doing this when I was drinking and I'm so sorry. Unless they cut it out. Unless they cut it out. Yeah. But I thought that that was really fucked up. And I just feel like Lala's kind of just gotten on this high horse and she's got a lot of fucking issues. They all do. We all do. We all have. I mean, you just heard mine. (laughs) Of course, we all have issues, but I think it's important to take the um, ownership and the responsibility and get help for them. And I I view Raquel like she didn't get help for her issues and instead she harmed everyone in her way. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Tom Sandoval can get help because as a former therapist I talked to told me once that he had a number of narcissistic clients who were you know, going to therapy because family members told them they had to. But if they don't acknowledge that they're part of the problem, then it's actually impossible to, it's the one situation that like, he's like, it's literally the one diagnosis that you can't move forward because if people won't take any ownership over behavior. So, but I, I do feel like, I've spent some we've spent some time exploring why Raquel's the way she is, why Schwartz is the way he is, but I think they need to like become adults and and get help because they're harming everyone around them at this point and it's not fair and I understand why people are taking steps back from them. Yeah, here's the deal. Like it's like this is as I said to you, like this is all this is happening to every single one of them as an opportunity for them to grow and evolve as a person. And for me, the only time I've ever grown is when I've been in a shitload of pain, you know? And I just think that this whole situation in general, all of them, it's all their unresolved childhood shit playing out. And so my hope is that they can all really grow and heal what needs to be healed. Because if not... They're just going to find themselves in the exact same relationships over and over and over again. This is what it's called repetition compulsion It's by Freud. You know, we're just going to recreate these dynamics. And the reason we do it is it's, it's an opportunity to heal or we get into these dynamics 
because we th- we were hoping for a different outcome. Like that's what it's about, right? We get into these relationships with people who are emotionally unavailable like our parents were or abusive like our parents were hoping to get a different result. That's what's going on. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. It is. But that's what's going on. And that's why people need to be like a little bit more compassionate with these people. Like none of these people are bad people. They're sick people. Uh, I think, too, that a lot of the times when we are so like when we really want to attack and bash and point fingers, it's that's also just an opportunity for us to not have to look at our own shit, too. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with that. It's a lot easier to look at these people on TV. And I'm not talking just Vanderpump rules. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, I watch these people because they're such garbage. And I'm like, well, I don't I don't I don't think these are garbage people. These are just people like people are just people and behaviors are garbage. Certain behaviors are garbage. But I, I don't know. I find it fascinating. And the reason I watch these shows is to find things I connect with, find things I find fascinating or different. Why would this person choose this path? That's not what I would choose. That's not the what I would do in that scenario. Why are they doing a different thing? You know, is it because of something in their past? Is it because of uh, like a, a desire they have? Like what what is it that they're craving I find human behavior endlessly interesting and fascinating. And that's why I watch reality TV, not to feel like I'm a better person. You know, I I know a lot of people like to, and it's easier to live life in black and white, because then it's like, it's either black or it's white. But life is really, in my opinion, like kind of all in the gray, in the shades of gray. And that's, you know, nuance and learning. And, you know, I don't think things are all one way or all another way. And um, what I hope people get from this podcast is just being able to see some of the shades of gray and look at things from a different point of view. Because this is certainly, you know, the first thing when I was thinking about Scandaval the first few weeks, I was not thinking what happened in Raquel's life that made her choose this path. I was thinking, what is wrong with her that she got close to Ariana while she was doing this? Like what, like that's a horrible thing to do to someone. And now it messes up Ariana's sense of trust. And I feel like you've shed a lot of light on what can make someone do terrible things. <laughs> well, and the thing with Ariana is like, I mean, in re- I'm positive that when she looks back on her life, like this is going to be one of the best things that ever happened to her. Like, who knows how long she was going to stay in that relationship. And then yeah. look at all the opportunities that have come her way. Like, this truly is the best thing that could ever have happened to her, you know? Because now she has an out, right? She has an out. She She doesn't have to stay. She would have stayed in there. Been unfulfilled, unhappy, not feeling fully loved, having all that anxiety. That's the other thing that I wanted to, like, I'm very curious in what led up to the decision for her to want to freeze her eggs. She did that years ago. Like, it was a while ago, like at least three years ago that she did that. It was when... She did it when um, Sheena was freezing her eggs. Okay. Sheena froze her eggs because she has not the same problem I have, but she had a very low AMH. And so 
um, she wanted to keep the option open to potentially have kids in the future. And um, something really interesting about Sheena is that she has all these frozen eggs, but she's not sure she ever wants to be pregnant again because she experienced such extreme um, anxiety of mm-hmm. postpartum that mm-hmm. she's not sure that like that's the right path for her um, now that she has a child. You know, um, and I know a lot of women have found ways, you know, adoption and um, surrogacy and, you know, most recently, Casey Rose Wilson from Bitch Sesh and Garbage, whatever their podcast is, um, you know, had a surrogate because her postpartum was so bad that she's like, I don't know that I could be a parent to the two kids I have while trying to Mm -hmm. physically have a third. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's an amazing option for people uh, who have that option. Um. But I think Ariana decided to do this because she's like, I don't want to a hundred percent close the door. I just and that and she and the fact that they didn't um, make embryos at that moment was interesting to me because it's like if I was with someone and I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life with them and I wanted to keep the option open. I wouldn't freeze eggs just as eggs. I would freeze them as embryos, which they're a little more durable frozen as embryos than they are just as standalone eggs. So that was always just unusual for me that that wasn't like that was confusing. But I think a lot of their relationship was confusing to a lot of us watching well, those the, elements the, the of it. The whole thing with this, like with in this season with her wanting like that was driven by her asking him right yeah which is so it's and she that's was what saying I think that's the yeah. abandonment thing like i think that that's what that was and like i i do think that that was like her almost her way of trying to feel security in the relationship especially knowing that like she she knew that this was not the one for her deep down but maybe her subconscious knew but her conscious didn't Exactly. She was too, she was too scared. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, she was, she was comfortable, you know, it was safe and it's really, it's really hard to walk away. Yeah, it is. And that's why I've shout out to Katie Maloney. <laughs> Sorry. I, I always go back to Katie, but I, I really am impressed with um, how she came to that conclusion with no one in her life guiding her in that way. She just really did the work of listening to her gut and it's a really hard thing to form a good relationship with your intuition and to trust it when there's not a whole lot of else guiding you. And so I, I that's why I like her. Cure her. I think that this goes to show you, too, like with the whole sperm thing, too, that like that this had to happen for Ariana because yeah. that, like something like this had to happen for her to walk away because Imagine if they had embryos, because when you do have embryos, you have to Mm -hmm. sign like legal documents about how you will get rid of them if you go separate ways. And And based off we know what their relationship was like, they had no business. They had no business doing that right now. Right. Right. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, for being on this podcast and for shedding light on what it means to be an adult child of dysfunctional families. Tell everyone where they can find you, where they can listen to your podcast, um, and anything else you want to plug. Yeah, Adult Child Pod is on Instagram and TikTok. Um, And then you can find Adult Child anywhere on any of the um, podcast platforms. And then I also have a community. It's called The Shit Show. 
Anna, because I'm I'm a self-proclaimed recovering chit show and I host um three weekly Zoom support groups with people all over the over the world. And it's a really special community where we heal and grow and have a little fun while doing so too. So I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for kind of shedding light on what makes people behave a certain way. And hopefully we can have a little more understanding. It's certainly not an excuse, just kind of an explanation for why people behave a certain way. And I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me.